Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Today on Group Work, I am welcoming the amazing Samantha Rock. Samantha is a certified recreation therapist, as well as a teen therapist at Creative Healing Teen Support Center in the greater Philadelphia area. Samantha provides DBT treatment, as well as exposure and response prevention treatment for the adolescent and young adult population. And she runs teen talk groups and teen DBT groups to provide teens a comprehensive experience in managing big emotions skillfully to to create a life they love. Samantha, I'm so excited to welcome you today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yes. So we have been planning this for a while, and I'm glad to finally get you on to talk about not only our teen talk group at Creative Healing, but also some of the differences between teen talk and DBT groups. I think it's it's going to be helpful to really highlight that. So let me pull back for a moment and have you introduce yourself to our listeners. I gave them the formal introduction, but who are you and what are the things you're doing? Sure. So I'm Samantha Rock. I am a clinician at Creative Healing. I started in September 2019 as an intern, then transitioned part-time when I graduated, and then recently last month just joined the team full-time. So I do some of the DBT groups, I run some of the teen talk groups, and see individuals. Yes. I love the background that you gave too, because it is so cool how you started with us as an intern and you just knocked our socks off so much that we were (laughs) like, we can't lose you. You have to stay with us. (laughs) I'm curious about like what lights you up the most in terms of the work that you're doing with creative healing right now. Yeah. A couple things I would say. I love groups. Groups is one of my favorite things. I, like I said, I run both two um, DBT groups and two of the teen talk groups. So that's something that I really am passionate about. I would also say, I just, I love some of the behind the scenes of like planning and like organizing activities. I have a background as a recreation therapist. So activities is kind of like my jam. So I, you know, recently was working on that project to create like activities for DBT group. And that's something that just really excited me. something that I really enjoyed doing. So I would say that's something that lights me up. I love that you highlighted this too, because the DBT cookbook, as we're calling it internally and now amongst other therapists, is amazing. It's 72 different group activities that you co-created and put together to really help our center just like plug in and play on what groups we're doing in any given week. And it cuts down on that planning process. I know you've trained some other therapists in these projects as well. So I love that you're passionate in this area. Yeah, thank you. Samantha, I'm curious about What led you to working with teens? One of my favorite questions to ask is, who were you in high school? I think it really shines a light into why we do the work we do. Yeah. When I was thinking about um, coming on here and just thinking about myself as a teenager, I was really trying to think of something that was like fun and interesting about myself. And I was like really coming up short. And um, one of my best friends highlighted that my involvement in our ministry and service club, which essentially is like our community service organization. And I was really heavily involved in this in high school. And then my senior year, I was president of, 
And I wasn't thinking this was anything like fun and interesting, but then I was like doing some self-reflection of like, it was kind of my dive and my path into like the social justice world and like where I started to see myself like falling into. And I just really loved it. And I think that is kind of like the roots of what led me to where I am now and kind of shaped me into like wanting to, you know, work with different communities. And so that's kind of, I think, where I started and how I end up here. And I think it kind of is a reflection of that. It's such an important thing to consider is how we were helpers when we were younger and the impact that we chose to make and the path that you ended up going on because of where you started. So I think it's a great example of showing who you were then and how it led you to where you are now. And we're so thankful that it did lead you here. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about teen talk group. Give me your rundown of who they're for and who they're not for. Let's start there. Yeah. Teen talk groups are really meant for teens who have a foundational like level of skills. They maybe know how to cope. They, you know, feel confident, maybe big emotions. And it's more of a place for when they want like just general support, validation, you know, processing life stressors. I think even right now, it's just such an important space for teens to feel connected and less alone and isolated, especially during this time when we're more isolated and lonely during a pandemic. So I think it's really meant for teens that, you know, just want extra support, maybe, you know, don't need a level of skills. Whereas DBT groups are really meant for, you know, teenagers who are experiencing those high level of emotions, you know, might be self-harming, you know, substance abuse, kind of those bigger things that are getting in the way of living a life they want. So I would say that's really the main difference of what Teen Talk is for DBT group clients. So for a teen talk client, they really have a level of skillfulness already. Like they're able to show up and interact and provide feedback versus a DBT group client who may need more structure or support or even may need to learn some foundational skills before they can get to that teen talk group. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And it's even interesting too. a lot of, you know, after our DBT group clients complete, you know, a round or even two rounds of DBT group, sometimes stepping down to a teen talk group is, you know, a normal progression of their therapy journey and their process because they have the foundational skills and then they're really, you know, wanting to still be connected in a group and then can handle more of that process oriented type group that a teen talk is. Absolutely. And I think for our DBT listeners, this would I would liken this more to like a graduate group where you're going from learning a lot of skills to more of an interpersonal setting where you get to put into practice all of those things that you learned. Yeah, definitely. And I know we've seen some success with our clients that come from DBT group to teen talk group. I'm going to ask in the other direction too, because I know this is a question that people ask. What happens if you get someone that comes in for an intake and they want to be in teen talker, but you're, you're noticing that they're really more appropriate for a skills group? Yeah, it's actually happened quite a bit. So that's something that oftentimes teens are like, well, I want to talk about this and that. And it's not really um, teen talker maybe isn't the space for that. So, and there may, might seem to be a level that's of skills that they need. So what I do in that case is I really try to help understand what they want their life to look like. You know, what are those life li- worth living goals and trying to tie them in to gain that commitment of like, you know, DBT group would be a really great fit for you in terms of getting to where you want in your life and really trying to gain that commitment that way and kind of help see how that group could fit better in their life than a team talk group that might even just reinforce some of their unhelpful patterns. 
Can I just say I am beaming right now. So for those of you listening, Samantha is my direct supervisee. And I'm just so thrilled in hearing like that question on the fly that we didn't prepare and the way that you answered it and the way that you handle these clients. It's just so amazing how you've been able to foster your assessment skills and really see what group is going to best help this client meet their goals, which ultimately is what it comes down to is that we're not going to put someone in an environment that's going to either replicate the unhelpful things in their everyday life or make them feel worse or set them up for some kind of sabotage. And so I really love that you're highlighting how the service will help them meet their goals. Definitely. Tell me what you do in teen talk group. (laughs) If you had to, if I were a fly on the wall and you had to tell me like a basic format, what does it look like? Absolutely. I would say that the simple answer to that is like, there is structure. I always start off with like an opening check-in. So we share highs and lows from the week, wins from the week. And then I kind of take a pull from the group if there's, you know, if they would like to share any stressors, get validation, like what do they need from myself and their peers? Oftentimes that just takes off. And we talk about, you know, more recently, I think just like the transitions in life, like thinking next steps in college and, you know, what it would be like to, to be an adult and adulting 101. We've talked a lot about that. So that's kind of, you know, those conversations then really take off. And then I'll end with like a closing, you know, closing observations. However, there's sometimes where teen talk groups, they come in and they're like, life was fine. This week was good. (laughs) And maybe they don't really have things that they want to talk and express and process. So when that happens, I always kind of just have, you know, activities planned and based on like things that they've talked about. So, you know, if they've mentioned a few weeks ago, that body image was something that they would like to process. You know, I've, I've pulled different body image activities that we might do, or if like, you know, friendships and peer relationships is something that they want support and that they've mentioned in the past, I'll tie in different creative activities to do around that. So it looks different every week. So, but that is kind of the general gist of how I structure and how I navigate them. So it's pretty organic unless you need a plan B and then you pull something in to create more structure. Definitely. Do you like the fact that it's different week to week? I know some people really enjoy a planned and structured group because there's no curveballs. But with this group, it sounds like anything could show up in the room. So what's that like for you as a group leader? Yeah, I actually really like it because it kind of keeps me on my toes. And I think it helps me be like fully present and it challenges me as a therapist, you know, and so I think I really enjoy it because I think it also allows me to have a little bit of creative freedom too, where, you know, my, the teens like know what to expect when they come in of like a general structure. However, I think it's like, I really like it because I can, you know, either if the direction, if the conversation is going south, I can like redirect and kind of, you know, bring it back to an activity. So I actually really like it because I think, yeah, it challenges me as a professional and personally too, you know, to really think on my toes sometimes. Yeah. I think you always have to be innovating new ways to respond in the moment, which takes a take some quick thinking sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say has been a favorite group activity you've done in this kind of group? Yeah, I would say I'm actually going to share like a a recent activity I did with the teens that kind of, again, was on the, on the fly. The group members kind of came in and were just kind of feeling like low. I could got it, get it. I got a sense that it was just kind of like you know, not feeling great about ourselves, just overly stressed with school and life. So 
I took a step back and I was like, okay, what could they really use right now? And we used Google Jamboards, which is something that I love using. You know, for anyone that hasn't checked it out, any therapist, like it's something that I really recommend. I use it for both individuals and groups. It's just a really kind of engaging way to use art and like visual means within the group. So, and it's something that you can do collectively, which I really like. So I assigned everyone their own Jamboard slide. So everyone had their own and I asked them to divide it into four. So kind of like if we were in person and I gave them a piece of paper and said, fold it up into four quadrants. And I gave them prompts to for each quadrant. And it kind of took most of the, the session, honestly. I kind of had them almost like create their own vision board, but I gave them prompts for each quadrant. So it was things like, you know, what are quotes and images that inspire you? What are things that make you laugh in the one? What, what are things that people have said about you, positive things that people have said about you? And I, I can't remember the last one, but they loved it. And it was a way for them. Like, I mean, people put their own personal pictures of them with their family and their pets. People like, you know, I was so impressed with some of like the doodles that they, that they did with like the paint feature. And it just ended up being like, they, they responded so well to it. And they all were like processing, like that they loved having that visual, like vision board of like how it really kind of just like boosted their mood and made them feel better about who they are as people. So I would say that's kind of one of my favorite things that I've done recently, because it kind of, again, was like on the fly, but it worked really well. So I think it's like a a way that we can also adapt to like, you know, something simple that we might've done in person, we can really do in the online space. It's accessible. Absolutely. And I'm hearing you describe this and thinking about when a group shows up and they're so heavy and down. And as a group leader, I can always feel that energy in the room. Like you walk in and it hits you in the face and you're like, oh, it's going to be one of those groups. And it sounds like you read that and conceptualized a way to shift the energy into what the group maybe really needed in that moment. So what did you observe in their faces and their level of engagement by the end of that group? Yeah, it was a definitely a, a different energy because you're so right. Like we feel that as therapists too, and like can take that on. And even myself, I was starting to like have those self-doubts of like, is this group going to be productive? Is this going to be something that I can really support them with? Because it can just feel, you know, really overwhelming when we even have our own like own stuff bringing into the room. So by the end of the group, it was just really nice. Like they had smiles on their faces. They were like, they really took a sense of pride of sharing their vision boards with each other. Like when they were going over them and processing them. So it was really nice to kind of see them take that ownership of like, this is who I am. These are the things that like make me tick as a person and laugh and smile. So yeah, it was really good. And, And, you know, one of the group members was like, I didn't realize that I needed this, you know? So it was like powerful to hear that. Yeah, so good. And I love that you highlighted the that sometimes as group leaders, especially I think in process groups, there's a level of uncertainty or insecurity that we can experience. Like it's not like a curriculum where you're hitting your marks and you know what you need to cover because it can be so different week to week. There's this questioning that I think we as therapists can engage in about ourselves. And so I'm curious if you're willing to talk about that, like the vulnerability of leading a process group as a therapist. Yeah, it was hard. And honestly, like when I started the process groups, it was my first time was online. I didn't have the process group experience in person. So there was a level of like, just nervous, like just feeling nervous about like how to engage them in an online setting when it wasn't a skills-based curriculum. These are the things I need to do. So I felt very vulnerable and very nervous. 
I really appreciate you being willing to be human about that. It's something that I value so much. I think that, you know, most of us want to be seen as competent and confident and knowing exactly what we're doing. And the truth is that I think, especially in process groups, we need to be able to sit with some of that not knowing. And that is a skill that you have fostered to this point. You've referenced a few times about the online space. And it is interesting that you started these process groups online because that was where we were in COVID, right? So you can't necessarily speak to the difference between you running this group in person or online, but you ran DBT groups in person before this. So what do you notice as the differences between online and in-person groups as you've experienced them? Yeah, I would say the one thing that is challenging is like in Zoom and on the online space, like one person you know, has to talk for everyone to be able to hear. Like there's not that like side banner that can sometimes just happen organically when you're in person of like, you know, chatting with the person next to you or, you know, just even sharing like coffee and candy together, which was always a big hit in the in-person group. So I think just missing some of that, like, like that interconnectedness that like you may not be able to really get in Zoom. I would say one of my DBT groups uses the chat as kind of like their banter back and forth. Like the co-leader in the group has to manage it because they just go off on it. Like they just use the chat so much to like share the little like comments or like, you know, witty responses. So I think they've tried to adapt and tried to have created that in an online space, which is kind of cool to see. I have to laugh because it's like, I... I'm like teaching the skill and all of a sudden I look down and there's like 12 chats in the thing. And I'm like, I can't even keep up with this chat, but they really like it. But not all groups, you know, utilize that. So that was probably the biggest thing that I know I've noticed. Yeah, that ability to like naturally connect with the person next to you or throw a pillow at someone across the room. (laughs) Some of those things that I witnessed happen that just don't happen online. And then I guess my question related to that is, are you still seeing connections form? Are you still seeing cohesion among your groups in the online space? Absolutely. I think the one like flip side of that is they're able to share a little bit more of their world, like what their room looks like, what their pets look like. And that's really cool because you get to see a little bit more of a glimpse into what their life is like, and just a little bit more of like who they are, you know, like posters that they have on the wall or like so many of the teens have like really cool, like led lights in their room and like, just like really awesome things that I think kind of help showcase who they are as a person or like a lot of connections of like, Oh, you have that poster, like things just like that, that they, I think they're able to connect on, on a deeper level that they wouldn't be able to do in that in-person space. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is the teens are at least our population is teens and they've they've been so adaptable to this process. Like they're still showing up for groups. We have more groups now than when we started the pandemic and more teens need support now, I think, than ever before. And so it still works and it's working and you've been such an amazing leader in this process. What would you say is your biggest challenge in all of the groups that you run? I would say sometimes just having cameras on And I know, like, I always try to validate because of course, like, it's just easy to be laying in bed and having your camera off and, you know, Snapchatting our friends. And I, (laughs) you know, it's something that is, I think my biggest challenge. And I would say that's more so present in the DBT groups than it is teen talk groups because the teen talk groups, like the teens really want to be there. So that to me is, I think my biggest challenge. And I always, again, try to validate and share that, like, 
And I always then try to highlight like how much more connected and engaged they are when they have their cameras on. Like usually those are the groups where they're like, this was fun. And I'm like, yeah, because we were all able to see each other and like laugh and share. So I try to navigate it that way, but I would still say it's a really big challenge. Um, and yeah. I understand like they're doing virtual school. They're on their computers all day. It's a lot, but you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge for sure. I would say the nature of a teen talk group, it makes sense that the cameras have to be on for it to work. If it's talk in process, that's going to be really challenging to make a connection when we, we can't see one person. Exactly. Yeah. If you were to give your top tips to a new therapist who really wants to run teen talk groups, what would you share with them to get them started in the process? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, you know, I really think there's so much that can be adapted online. So if people, especially right now, if they're looking to do a teen talk group online right now, looking at their their resources that they already have and, and looking to see like, what can I adapt online? Like, you know, I always think like too, like what were my favorite like handouts or worksheets that I used to use and like, how can I adapt it? You know, like I think a lot can be translated to online and using those things to cr still create that space and you're, you know, introducing your favorite activities, you know? And I think even when I started too, like I was just trying to look up anything and anything that could <laughs> be of value to me. So there's Google Jamboards, there's, you know, Santry apps, there's the virtual calming room. I don't know if anyone's used that, but it's really cool. I use that a lot. So just trying to figure out like what resources are available, because there are a lot that are out there that can be used for, for online spaces and just, you know, creative things. And one of the therapists on our team shared recently a book that I've been using a lot. It's like creative coping for tweens and teens. And that's been really helpful. I've been pulling um, activities from that recently. So that's been really cool. So, you know, using your favorite workbooks that you love and adapting the, some of those resources to, you know, online. So I think that's would be my biggest advice. Samantha, it's been so awesome to have you here today. I love how you're running teen talk groups and you're running teen DBT groups. I want to, again, reference the amazing DBT cookbook that you've created and that will soon be available for other therapists for purchase and for training. You are just doing so many amazing things. And honestly, you're, you're still kind of at the beginning of your therapist journey. So I'm excited to see where you are going. I appreciate that you are here with us today. And if you want to learn more about Samantha, you can find her at Creative Healing philly.com slash Samantha rock. Any final words? Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thanks. Hey groupie. Thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.